Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by John Paul Barrick, CEO of The Mining Store. JP, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. I'm excited to be here. Well, I should say welcome back. You've actually already appeared on the platform uh, with Santiago Velez uh, a couple of years ago where you guys did a real technical deep dive on what you guys do at The Mining Store. I'm really curious uh, for people who don't necessarily have strong backgrounds in technology to talk about what mining is, what its significance is, particularly in the Bitcoin network. So cryptocurrency mining is the way that new transactions and new Bitcoins are created. So every Bitcoin started off from a newly minted block, and that block was created by a miner. Now, the unique thing about cryptocurrency miners is that it, they allow anyone to sell energy from across the world to the Bitcoin network. When I mean sell energy, they mean put the energy that they're buying from their local power station into that computer, which is a miner device. That mining device does some math problems and get, calculates these things called mining blocks effectively. And then every time it gets a block, it gets paid. And so they're taking the energy that only could have been you know, sold to the consumer at the local level, and they're selling it to this global marketplace. And that's why Bitcoin has become this massive energy buyer across the world. But that's like what Bitcoin mining is, is at a high level. That's really fascinating. Uh, so two points. Uh, first of all, what you're talking about with mining effectively is the ordering, confirming, and publishing of the transactions that have taken place on the Bitcoin network, uh, which provides transparency uh, to anyone who can run a full node or who wants to run a full node. But this idea of almost this energy arbitrage structure that you just described is really interesting and maybe something that most people haven't thought about in quite that way. Talk a little bit more about what you mean by buying energy at the local level and then selling it in a global fungible commodity market. Sure. So when you think about the local energy markets before Bitcoin, you were buying energy in Texas and Iowa and it had to be used very close to where it was produced. That's because energy or electricity is a commodity that has to be utilized immediately. We can't store energy effectively, we, not like oil or gold or steel where you can put it away and take it out a year later. Electricity needs to be utilized immediately. And so within that sense, the, the electric participants in the market, the utilities, the, um, the, the wind farms, the nuclear plants, every single one of those groups has to match the energy demand of the grid. And so they're not making uh, more energy than the grid needs, and they're always trying to match it so that as we ramp up our consumption, so in the mornings when everyone's turning on their, their coffee or when everyone's turning on their air conditionings in the afternoon, they're matching that demand with consumption. Well, Bitcoin mining came in and said, what happens if we could match the energy purchasing from a global level with something called the Bitcoin network? And so what I mean by that is that the, energy, the Bitcoin network is always buying energy. It's always saying, hey, I need a block. I need a block. I need newly minted Bitcoins. And Bitcoin is effectively a large clock because every 10 minutes there's a block and that block is how we track and keep 
basically keep time and keep transactions moving throughout this ecosystem. And those 10 minute sequences are produced by the miners. So as more people join the Bitcoin mining community, the block, the clock gets a little bit faster and it's okay. Now it's a let it's nine minutes to mine a Bitcoin, but we have this unique invention called the difficulty in the Bitcoin mining system, which automatically calculates how hard it is to mine a Bitcoin block. So the first Bitcoin blocks were, um, you could mine them on your computer, on your GPUs, on your CPUs. And then it started getting more specialized and doing trillions of hashes per second. And a hash is a mathematical equation where I'm basically guessing the reward, or guessing the, the height of a block or trying to guess for like this new block. And so what's happening with these computers is they've gotten better and better over the years, doing trillions of hashes a second. And so these computers are always competing, trying to find these blocks. And then as I mentioned, as more computers join, it becomes harder. As computers turn off, it becomes easier. And that's kind of the market dynamics we're seeing today. I might have digressed from your question, but that's how electricity is sold from this local marketplace through the computers into the global marketplace with Bitcoin buying every 10 minutes uh, new energy from all the miners. Yeah, well, in many ways, those digressions about understanding the broader context are the point of a conversation like this so that people uh, can hear from someone who's been involved in the space uh, for many, many years. You started when you were incredibly young. Tell us a little bit about your own journey uh, into Bitcoin and into mining more specifically. So I found out about Bitcoin in 2013, and I was learning about the technology. I was reading about it on Wikipedia, and I was a freshman in high school. And the reason why it intrigued me is because there was no boundaries per se, or I guess gatekeepers stopping me as a young 14 year old high schooler to get into this space. You know, I, I barely had a bank account at that age. I couldn't get on Coinbase. I had to go ahead and buy Bitcoins with my mom. It helped because I wasn't 18, but there's still this fundamental opportunity of saying anyone in the world can have access to this financial network. It doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, what you believe in. And that really resonated with me as a young individual. And so I started learning about, okay, why is Bitcoin unique? What, what does it solve? And it solves this problem about trust. And when you're a high schooler, you know, you're a little, um, not necessarily you're not trustworthy, but it's you're a little like authority. You don't like it if people can tell you to do something. And Bitcoin solves this problem called the Byzantine general's problem. And it's like the exact situation of that, that pushy 13, 14 year old who thinks they know everything. It's like, I can go on the internet and I can participate in the set rules of Bitcoin and how they're set up. And I have to follow those rules, but they're defined. So there's no like, well, this is the rule because I said so. And that was a big thing for me as a kid. And I would, in high school, I would like read the, read the rule book and read the, the policy guidelines to make sure that I could follow the policies, you know, by the T and knew them so I could use them to my advantage. And so when you get to Bitcoin and this Byzantine generals problem, effectively what it is, is we're all going to agree to attack the city at once, or we're all going to agree not to attack the city. And that's where we, that's called consensus. And it was very hard to not get consensus on the internet without having someone have a higher authority over another member. But as a Bitcoin miner, I realized that we instead of, we, we got to consensus by having people invest infrastructure and energy into these mining devices in order to achieve this consensus. Yeah, that's really a fascinating metaphor. Uh, you know, as someone who once was a rebellious high school kid, this idea of decentralization of uh, basically having authority spread out. You know, another way of, I guess, talking about this problem uh, is the problem of trust without trusted third parties. In other words, the idea that you can have a network itself that through 
consensus through proof of work has the ability to distribute trust rather than having, you know, an authority, a bank, for example, that says, okay, this transaction's okay. JP is sending Ash a hundred bucks. We can verify that it's in his account. We'll send it to Ash's bank. They can verify that he is who he says he is and we'll do the transfer. This is a, a radical departure. And I don't mean to sort of get into hyperbole before, uh, you know, when we talk about this, but this really is the first time in human history that you could have a network with distributed decentralized trust where there was a mechanism for all the participants on the network to reach consensus collectively together. And that's the unique innovation here with proof of work is that we're able to reach that consensus by having individuals invest in their infrastructure and buy energy. But now if you take that step farther, that means that everyone's on a level playing field. If I'm a government, if I, like El Salvador, if I am a company, if I'm an individual, we all have access to electricity and everyone is has to use that electricity. There's no cheating. It's not like, oh, I have this electricity machine here that's going to make electricity for free or at no cost. So everyone has these real raw inputs and these raw costs. And then what it does is it makes it so that you're incentivized to find energy infrastructure that no one in the world is using to find the cheapest energy possible. Wind farms, solar farms, energy without a fuel source is usually the cheapest. So that's what we're focused on as large institutional Bitcoin miners is always looking for the next spot where no one's buying the energy and then exporting it from that local marketplace, which could be in Alberta, Canada, up in the mountains. It could be in the middle of the Midwest where there's only small towns and sending it to the Bitcoin network. So most of the energy actually goes to waste. And that's what a Bitcoin miner, and that's what's nice about Bitcoin miners, like anyone can do it. It doesn't matter how big or small you are. If you're a nation state or individual, you have access to energy. You can play this game of exporting energy from your local marketplace to the global one of Bitcoin. Yeah. you know, And another way of talking about this is going from a system that's based on rules and contract enforcement uh, to a system where ultimately it's the laws of mathematics and physics that govern the trust of the network. Exactly. We're trusting physics to handle our money. No more politicians, which is amazing. And that's why I was so excited as a young lad and at 13, 14 years old. And then going into high school, I started the mining store in 2016, started mining Ethereum, ended up scaling uh, to facilities in um, North Carolina, and then all the way up to Oregon, and then the Midwest and Iowa in 2019. And now we're saying, how do we buy wind farms and scale there? So it's been a massive journey all the way from the first device I plugged in my parents' basement when my dad and myself, you know, wired up some extra 20 amp circuits and was running in a cardboard, a, a, a milk craton with GPUs across it. And today where you have massive shipping containers, 30,000 square foot buildings we're producing, and you're actually buying the wind farms themselves to generate the energy. It's been such an incredible journey. Hey, if you like this clip, be sure to check out the full interview and more only on realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's 100% free. Sign up now.